This is Radiant Reflections, the podcast of the Radiant Life Church in Sturgis, Michigan. Our heart for you is that you would live like Jesus and share his love. Thanks for joining us for this ongoing season two of Radiant Reflections. Today, Pastor Josh Harma and myself, Pastor Josh Brown, today we're joined by a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Pastor Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed is the lead pastor at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. His wife, Marie, also serves there. His son, Joshua, serves there and his daughter, Caitlin. Today, Pastor Ed is joining us to talk a little bit about a very difficult season of suffering that he and his family went through, the loss of their oldest son, Eddie Jr. Today, Pastor Ed will talk a little bit more about how the Taylor family has navigated these very difficult waters. And we want to make sure to let you know, Pastor Ed has shared a wonderful book on this subject, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. This book can be found on Amazon and anywhere that you find books, or you can always go and check out calvaryco.store. Again, calvaryco.store to buy the book that Pastor Ed's talking about, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. So without any further ado, here's Pastor Josh, myself, Pastor Josh Brown, and Pastor Ed Taylor. Well, welcome to another episode of Radiant Reflections. My name is Josh Herma, and I am joined today by Pastor Josh Brown, who is uh, co-hosting this with me. Uh, excited to have him in the uh, the co-host chair. And we are joined by our guest. This is uh, pastor and author, Ed Taylor. Ed, how are you doing today? Doing great. And uh, looking out the window here, there's a little bit of snow from last night. And I'm inside, and it's outside. That's always good. All right, so right right away, you're going to have to give people some context because we're looking out the windows and it's, I mean, it's chilly, but it's it's sunny. We don't have any snow. It's going to be close to 70 today. Yeah, we're supposed to have uh, oh, <laughs> a pretty pretty good is day. Is that humid? Is that a humid 70? No. It is not. No. No. No, okay. it'll, it'll, it'll be all right. But uh, so where where are you located that you're looking out your window looking at snow? Uh, we're here in Aurora, Colorado. All right. So you guys just got hammered, like hammered with snow here a few weeks ago. We did. Yes. How was that? It was, it was, it was close to the blizzard that we had a few years ago, you know, and and these later snows are are wet and heavy. So a lot of the guys here threw their backs out shoveling and uh, it's, you know, I, I don't mind the snow if it's on a day off or it doesn't cause us to, to cancel service, but right. it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Uh, I've even learned different techniques to shovel and get it out of the way, but man, uh, it can be a very annoying thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like snow ever. Like there's, there's Same. never a, there's never a good time for snow in, in my yeah. opinion, but Ed is a transplant anyways. Like snow is not yes. where, where he's normally from Ed tell our viewers and listeners where, where you're born and raised. You know, I grew up in Southern California, just outside of uh, East LA. Uh, and I got saved later in life at age 23 at a Calvary chapel in Downey, California. And then eight years later, uh, we really believe the Lord wanted us to launch off from uh, Southern Cal and and go to a city that there wasn't a Calvary Chapel. We ended up landing here in Aurora, which is uh, a large suburb outside of Denver, and we've been here now for 21 years. Mm. Nice. So, do you ever miss Southern California weather? You know, that's a 
the weather, yes. Uh, many, it's it's really that's an interesting question because I go back and forth. There are times where you know I miss Southern Cal and I I miss the. It's probably more than anything the familiarity of everything. You know, friends and family back there and uh, and a and a whole. It's really weird uh, to have. I didn't anticipate this feeling where you you have two home bases. Uh, and so we've got a we've we've obviously have 21 years invested in this community and the and the people and the families and uh, everyone all throughout Colorado. But then we also had 20 plus years invested in Southern Cal. And um, so the weather, yes, you know, my daughter's out there at Bible College right now, so we've been out a couple times this year already. And you know, we definitely miss it. And it's a I'm more nostalgic than my wife is. Uh, and so I get super nostalgic when I go back and different sights and smells and even the sunsets, you know, there's nothing. Listen, this is you guys need to agree with me on this 100 <laughs> percent. There is nothing like a sunset at Dodger Stadium. <laughs> Dodger Stadium. I, I will have to. I've never been there. So I, I'll, I'll take your word for it, though. So yeah, I've, I've never yeah, actually been to, to California. So. For the viewers the and listeners, Ed hit. is a diehard uh, Dodgers fan and a sadly, sadly, a USC fan. That's not nothing to be sad about that. We're going all the way this year in basketball. You might. <laughs> Didn't you guys just beat Oregon? We did, yeah. I think we're uh, – I don't really follow it much, but yeah. I saw it pop up as a notification. <laughs> uh, but I, I think they um, – I think we're in the a final eight. I oh, think wow. is that what they call it, the final eight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't been tracking with it either, but that's cool. But rock and yeah, roll, it's good. Well, hey, we are uh, in our in our radio reflections. We're in a series on death and dying, and looking at all different aspects of that. Looking at a, a biblical view of death and dying, talking about heaven, hell, all of these things. Uh, but Ed, you bring uh, kind of a unique perspective to this. I uh, mean, really more on the on the side of grief. Uh, for our listeners and viewers, uh, would you would you mind just talking a little bit about like what you bring to the table uh, and kind of your experience with grief? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I guess it would start with Marie and I. We've been married uh, this Friday. Will be thirty two years. Congratulations! Uh, and yeah, praise God, we made. Well, we haven't made it yet, but we're almost there. <laughs> thirty two years, <laughs> and we. Um, uh, some of those years were um, before we were saved, and then most of them were after we were saved. And out of that marriage, the Lord had given us what? Well, out of our relationship, the Lord had given us three kids. My oldest uh, is Eddie. He would have been thirty-five this year, uh, and then I have a son, Josh, who's twenty-eight. He serves with me here in the ministry as one of our admin administrative pastors, and then my daughter, Caitlin is 22 i believe and uh, she's off in bible college so uh with our children raising them moving here planning the church it was eight years ago that our oldest eddie uh, went home to be with the lord he was 26. he had a sudden cardiac arrest that that started a whole series of events uh, of which he'd never uh, ended up leaving the hospital alive so um, that plunged, you know, that changed. That was eight years ago, almost eight years ago this May, uh, 2013. And, you know, that changed the whole, uh, I, up at that point, I'd already experienced um, uh, a major loss with the loss of my dad. Uh, and, uh, and you know, the loss of my dad was pretty significant because uh, with my mom and dad, I was adopted into their family. 
and they were completely 100% my parents, but, you know, different, unique nuances to our relationship. Um, so I had experienced the loss of my dad, but, and then, and then a few years after my son, I experienced the loss of my mom, but man, losing a kid hits a, a totally different way. And that plunged me, uh, into some serious, serious grief, um, that isn't over depression isn't over discouragement isn't over um but but I, I i do think it's better than it was in those early days so 2013 my son eddie passed away it was pretty devastating for us i, I believe it i believe mm. it, but i mean and you allude to it's not you know this isn't something that oh hey you know this many years ago this happened i grieved and now i'm good i mean you're, you're alluding to this is right. this is an ongoing process in in your life yeah yeah Okay. Yeah, uh, I've learned a lot about grief. Um, didn't want to learn this way, but I've learned a lot about grief and sorrow and loss. So, so take take us uh, if if uh, you're willing, just in those in those first days and in, in weeks and months after Eddie passed away. Like, what was your grieving process like? How do you, how do you even start to grapple with that? I've got I've got six kids. They're all young. You know, twelve and twelve and under. Yeah. Uh, I can't even begin to wrap my brain around no. where I would be emotionally, mentally, if, if I lost one of them. I mean, walk us through that process for you. Well, you know, I think the, the best way to describe that time was very dark and difficult. Um, you know, I had taken, uh, he was in a coma and, uh, in, in the hospital. So Marie and I, I had taken, uh, so there was a there was even a process of our hope. You know, we had really high hopes that he would wake up, really confident, very faith filled. Um, you know, not only not only faith filled, but there were some positive reports from the doctors, and we're just really encouraged. We we weren't uh, we knew we were in crisis, so uh, we knew this was a very difficult situation. We knew life would be different uh, from this point on, uh, but we Marie and I and my family uh, didn't really anticipate him dying. Uh, he's very strong, very healthy, very, uh, he's a police officer. Uh, right, as a matter of fact, he was in the testing uh, phase, the late stages of the testing phase to move back to California and join the California Highway Patrol. And uh, so all, all of that, that anticipation, but then uh, watching it unfold and some of the decisions being made, you know, we, we, uh, we watched him, unfortunately, uh, die in those latter days. And then finally, um, go home to be with the Lord. And so, you know, it just plunged our home into darkness. And I think the the difficulty that I didn't anticipate uh, was how different everyone would take it. So I had a young daughter at the time, my wife, of course, me, my son, who was in my, our other son, who was in Bible college in California at the time, so a thousand miles away, um, and how it just hit us all differently. Um, it, that was the first, um, that was the first experience um, that I watched our whole family be plunged into this. That there's no other way to describe it than darkness. It was just very difficult. Uh, it was quiet. Uh, it went from quiet to tension to arguing to difficulty. You know, and all of that. You're you're dealing with all of your roller coaster of emotions on top of um, life. Uh, and you know, I I had pulled completely back at that point from pastoring, uh, and the leadership team there would took over. Um, all of my leadership responsibilities uh, while Eddie was in the hospital. And then, of course, after, I, I, after he died, that put a whole different scenario. And so I wasn't really sure 
if I was ever going back um, mm. uh, to pastor and to this church, uh, I had, I was thinking about a lot of things, including moving back to California, uh, going back into the corporate world. Um, you know, it was the, it was just difficult, dark, and and extremely hard um, in those early days. Mm. Now, in the in the midst of that, how did you? I mean, you talk about that that darkness. How did you navigate the fact that you've got you've got young kids? Like how how were you the dad, the husband, and the you know both the the father to these kids that are they just lost a brother. You lost your son. Your wife lost it. Like what were those tensions like? You know, I mean, you talk about the some arguing or whatever. But how did you live into each of those roles? Or is it is it not pot? I mean, you can't. I mean, you just you've got to grieve and yeah. come what may. That's super. That's a that's a great question. It's super hard to to think back to those times because I don't think I did a very good job at it. I mean, I think the I was stuck. Uh, you know, you you want to say this, and this isn't true, but what comes to your mind when you're having a conversation like this is you may think, you know, I think I took it the hardest. Um, I, I know I didn't take it the hardest. I know we all took it the hardest, uh, but it feels like. Uh, you go through these seasons where you're like, man, one member of the uh, family's happy. And you're like, how can you possibly be happy during the time like this? Or you have all the, it, it's an, it's an absolute complete onslaught uh, on your emotions and the way you see things. And so back when you got, that's a great question because I don't think I did a good job at that. I think I, I, I describe it this way. We have this L-shaped brown couch in our front room in front of the television and I have a spot on the far right side uh, where I put my coffee, where I read my devos in the morning, and and basically that what that my life was. If I got if I got out of bed, uh, if I ended up getting out of bed that day, I would get up. I wouldn't I wouldn't take a shower. Just stay in my pajamas. Get up. Get my iPad. Go sit on that chair for eight to ten hours a day. Uh, that section of the couch and turn on the TV. Um, I I. I think that, you know, there were some habits that really helped me pull through um, besides just vegging out and trying to trying to live as if it didn't happen. Um, but the, the, the one habit that really helped me was this lifestyle of prayer and reading the Bible. And I, and I didn't read the Bible like a pastor. I didn't read the Bible like a scholar. I didn't read the Bible. I just read it to read it. Like it was, I, I knew that I had to default to something otherwise i would have gone over the edge i, I think i think i would have just not returned uh f the darkness would have gotten deeper and more difficult because when you sit there with yourself um and you talk to yourself and you go through these these images and thoughts in your mind you're the worst person to talk to um yourself is the worst person to talk to in the midst of deep dark grief it's mm. just very unwise mm. Now, I mean, you talk about you know, scripture. You know, I know in in the book you wrote, God's help for the troubled heart. You know, you talk a little bit about the difficulty of hanging on to scriptures, like you know Romans eight twenty eight. You're like, hey, that sounds great. However, in the midst of grief, where did you go? You know, in scripture, what? You know, where, if anywhere in scripture, were you finding any sort of solace? You know, I mean, all these promises that we like to throw people's way. Uh, if those aren't helpful, where where were you going? Yeah, I think the the regular. I think I was. Uh, I'd have to go back. I didn't review my journal for this because that's one thing that came out of this season. Is I started a prayer journal to get all these thoughts out every day, mm. so I didn't have to live with them. I could type them out, 
be done with them uh, and then go back. But I, I think, if, as I recall, I think that I did a regular reading plan and and I added to that regular reading plan two things. Um, you know, I didn't have any uh, thinking about it. You know, I'm in my office right now uh, and I'm looking at a, a, a whole bookcase full of books. I didn't have any books on grief. Uh, I didn't have any books to help a grieving person. I might have had a few books that said, pastors, this is how you help a grieving person. But I didn't have anything personal. So I went on my Logos Bible software and and put in the word grief. And this Devo came up uh, that, that, that literally God used to apprehend my whole life and begin the pro- – I think this Devo is what began the process of, of coming out of that dark pit. And it was a Devo called – uh, Beside Still Waters by Charles Spurgeon, and it was a selection of 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 entries, you know, from his teachings and his sermons on the topic of grief and experiencing great pain, painful circumstances. And uh, man, I tell you, uh, to have a man like Charles Spurgeon just like sit there on your on your brown couch, tell you you can't sit here forever. It's going to be okay. Um, this is God's will for your life. Um, being reminded, being reminded from a trustworthy pastor, being reminded from the fact that you have a Bible open in front of you, um, being reminded of someone like David, you know, David become a really good, became, has become a really good friend of mine reading through some of the, the pain and process, how he processed it. You know, you read through some of the Psalms, right? You got David just like starting out so upset, so frustrated, so hurt, but ending so well, and then you have that rhythm read into your life, um, the Holy Spirit then takes that rhythm and reminds you of the truths that darkness and depression and discouragement, you know, it's like a fog um, or like snow. Um, You know, that's how I describe it here, where when you're driving in a fog, there's a couple things you don't do. Uh, You don't speed up and you don't put on your high beams um, because it's very disorienting especially driving in the snow it's it has that feeling of uh you know uh, as we were talking a little bit earlier um in the star wars movies how they have that <laughs> that warp speed type of uh thing yeah. where you know you got it's just very disorienting um and grief is very disorienting and the la the, the things that we need to do is slow down get our bearings and even if you know my life is always running i'm I, i'm running as fast as i can i'm doing all that God's called me to do, and this just slowed me to an absolute stop. And it was the Word of God, Spurgeon, that really helped me uh, get back on that track of moving forward, taking the steps that I need. So the Psalms were incredibly encouraging to me, although it was also painful because now you start feeling every, other people's pain very acutely. Yeah. It was super painful mm. to think of what David had to go through. Yeah, oh, that that makes sense. And you're like, hey, I've got I've got my own pain to deal with here, Lord. <laughs> I don't I don't want to be borrowing. I don't want to borrow all this from from David. But now you talk uh, you talk a little bit in the book about how we we the church right we we have a little bit of a bad theology about suffering. Talk about that a little bit. You know, where do we go wrong in our understanding of what suffering and grief, wh- what it is, where it comes from, etc. I think one of the one of the big errors and mistakes that we've made as leaders and pastors is that we have not allowed the full counsel of God to really 
identify and define our lives and the full counsel of God from beginning to end, from the fall in the garden uh, till the final uh, triumph of Christ is riddled with pain. Sin has wrecked people's lives. Sin continues to destroy. You know, the, the, the Bible speaks to us as the devil seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. It's all he does is roam around looking who he can hurt, devour, destroy. And Christianity, and I would say because we're here in the States, you know, Western Christianity, Western pulpit teaching, the popular guys on YouTube, the guys that are getting the most attention, uh, they don't factor in um, the reality of pain and suffering in the whole counsel of God. Like pain and suffering is, that it is the backdrop. Without the backdrop of difficulty, pain, suffering, what sin has done to a holy, righteous God, how it's wrecked the humanity, uh, and it, it, the cross doesn't mean anything without that. Uh, it, it has very little meaning. Instead, instead, the theology of suffering today is either non-existent or somehow tied to, well, it's your fault. Uh, you know, it's your fault that this happened. You don't have enough faith. You didn't give enough mm-hmm. to my ministry. Yeah. You, um, it's almost like we we don't want to listen. We we don't want to listen or follow Jesus in the difficult parts of his life, which most of them were. Um, he he lived a life of utter rejection. Uh, he lived a life where slander and gossip surrounded him at uh, every turn. Uh, he he was only he was only really um, you know loved and cared for by a very small group of people. And the ultimate end to his life was was rejection, abandonment. Uh, he was for, he was beaten senseless uh, to the point where he was unrecognizable, and then he was killed by the government um, for as an innocent man. And and so every step of our Savior's life was filled with pain and sorrow and difficulties, entity, but also in his deity. Um, as he watches, you know, I think of his weeping at the tomb of Lazarus, he knew full well Lazarus was going to be uh, resurrected. He knew he would come back to life. But there he is weeping anyway. Why? Why would he weep if he knew that Lazarus would, would be back just in a, you know, in a few moments? Um, and I would propose that his weeping was for the pain that was all around him. He yeah. was acutely connected to the pain that sin brings uh, into people's lives. And so this this... This it's almost as if um, people want to avoid suffering and want to avoid talking about it um, because it's not a popular topic. Who wants, you know, it's the idea, well, people want to come to church to be encouraged. Well, I find, some, I find nothing more encouraging than to speak to the truth that's in the room and bring people to a full realization of the faithfulness of God. But I think that, that if I had to define the theology of suffering, I would define it in one verse, John chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have tribulation, hmm. but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, Jesus told us. Yeah. Yeah, the American church doesn't like that verse so much. I don't think. No. <laughs> or or we, 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 we look at things that are, are not actually at all troubling and we're like oh my goodness we're being persecuted <laughs> yeah they're making us wear a mask to go to church this is persecution uh but yeah i don't we, know about yeah, that yeah, that's a great that's that's actually a, a great insight because really what what that what we're experiencing right now in this in this later year i think in 2020 pandemic face coverings is is church, the church is losing privileges they're not right they're not being persecuted we're losing privileges and so that's what 
that's the theology of our Western culture. It's and, soft. And, we, and I just apologize to our church. Uh, I think it was this week or last week where I just, I apologize to our church for us as pastors for leading people to a place where the loss of privilege is now equated to persecution and, mm. and, and, you know, it, it, we've lost it, you know, and that was in the backdrop. This is probably a different podcast altogether, but it was in the <laughs> backdrop of Boulder and what happened up in mm. Boulder last week. Yeah. And, and it was just a heavy week for Colorado. And, yeah. and so I spoke to that, even though it was Palm Sunday, I spoke to that in the room uh, and, and really used that as a tool to like, man, we're, this is, this is our world and, and only the church can be the church and the church has to enter in though with the right message. Yeah. Um, otherwise we're just clinging symbols. The Bible says, Mm. No, that's good. Yeah, we, we try so hard to insulate ourselves from any sort of suffering, uh, which then probably equips us poorly to deal with it when it happens. Because if, if our answer in the face of suffering is, well, you just, uh, you didn't pray enough or you don't have enough faith, you know, as, as you were saying, we're, we're not very well equipped to actually enter into the conversation. That's so wicked, you know, when you really stop and think about people who are representing the gospel in that way. And really just putting a, a, a warped image of who God is and what the gospel is, that's very dark because uh, it, it's exactly what you said. And tribulation and suffering is a promise from God. It's going to happen. It's not if. It will happen in our lives as followers of Jesus. His promise was never to, to remove or shield us from those things. His promise was always to be with us and to walk alongside as we go through them. And that's such a miss, I think. I'm thankful I'm a part of a church. Ed, I'm thankful you're pastoring a church where that kind of doctrine and theology is not even on the radar. Uh, this past no, week, great. Ed, I don't know if you've, just a song that may encourage you. Uh, I know you know who Shane and Shane is. Um, great, great worship leaders. But some years back, they did a song called Though You Slay Me. And it has a monologue in the middle of it with John Piper. Extremely powerful song about choosing, making a decision in the midst of the darkness of loss like that. Choosing to, to turn to the Lord, even in brokenness and weakness. Uh, we, have a, we have a gentleman in our church um, who... He's a leader in our community and uh, a member of this church, a godly man, uh, a lot like you described Eddie. He is thin and fit and always been health conscious and out of nowhere, a stage for pancreatic cancer diagnosis. He's not going to survive. Um, and we sang that song this last Sunday and he's in the room. He's sitting in the congregation. We're singing this song, Though You Slay Me, is the chorus line. And I'm thinking about that as the worship pastor is singing it. I'm like, this, this hurts me, and I'm not the one who's facing this. I'm, I'm watching another brother suffer, um, and he's suffering so well. I mean, that's, that's another conversation. Um, but but that's uh, maybe you check out that song at another time and it, it could be an encouragement to you. But Thank now, you. Let's well, let's uh, get into that a little bit because here you see somebody in the face of of, of uh, a type of suffering and how they're handling it. 
But Ed, what would you say, you know, orient us to, you know, again, that, that proper theology of suffering, but how does that for, for, you know, Joe Smith, you know, congregant, they say, great, you guys are just debating theology. Well, we're not even debating. I mean, you're just talking about these theological, you know, super ethereal things. <clears throat> How does a proper theology of suffering actually impact the way I live my mm. life, you know, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. What does that look like? Well, that's a great question because I, when we start using phrases like theology of suffering and we just even use the word theology, it almost plunges people into or launches people into a different mindset yeah. And, and so with, with my, with my opportunity to help people walk through pain and grief, uh, I, I, I want to let them, I want to, I want, I, I think a proper theology of suffering will, will lead us to affirm that pain in their life. Mm-hmm. It will lead us to come alongside of them and be patient. It will cause us to uh, come alongside of them and listen. Uh, it will, it, it will put us in a different posture to, step aside because you don't need I don't think you need to explain a theology of suffering to someone that's suffering um, because <laughs> right. it, it only it, they obviously they believe in that because they're going through it um, and they're suffering that like that's like a real emotion that's a real whether it's depression discouragement pain loss all of that like they, they you don't we don't need to explain that to them I think it's good for us to walk in and and just change our whole perspective of someone that's going through something. And it doesn't really matter what it is. You know, we're talking about grief, but the book actually doesn't really deal with grief um, as much. It's not one of those heavy books on grief. It's actually the reality. uh, It's also actually written to the reality of pain in general. Uh, That's why we use that word troubled heart. It was, everyone has a troubled heart. They have prodigal kids. We have pancreatic cancer you know that you think of a stage four um uh diagnosis how about the guy that's waiting for his test results um you know how about the gal that when yeah when they think of when they hear a stage four diagnosis uh they think back to their stage two breast cancer that they were able to get through but they go back for six months um tests all the time to make sure it hasn't come back and you know you're living you live like we're all living on the edge of eternity Mm. and uh, the closer we get to the edge of re- eternity, whatever that might look like, whether it's years from now or tomorrow, um, it, the, the, the level of pain and difficulty that we face only increases. You know, and looking at me, uh, my life, I look, I look at my life now and I think, you know what, I have more years behind me than I have in front of me. Uh, now, that may have been true much earlier than I acknowledge that because I don't know when the Lord's going to take me home, but in, in just pure age-wise, I have more years behind me. Uh, I'm not going to live to be 115, I don't think, or I, 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 I wouldn't even want to live that long. Like, and I, you know, I have a few good years left of ministry, I think, and so I want them to be good. But I know that now, at you know, I when I come, com, um, what's the word I want you compared to when I moved here in 1999 to now in 2021, uh, I can tell you this. Not only have I experienced more pain and sorrow and difficulty, but I also see that almost everything in life is bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have said that 20 years ago. Um, almost everything in life is bittersweet. Uh, you know, think of the most sweetest, most beautiful thing that could happen uh, to a family. Uh, the birth of a baby. Um, beautiful, wonderful, sweet as you could be. 
But I promise you, someone connected to that family has experienced the loss of a baby. And whether it was through abortion as an unbeliever or just through a miscarriage. And, you know, we do a family, like as pastors, we got to realize this. We we bring up a family for a baby dedication, which is a sweet, sweet, beautiful ministry. But I promise you, you know, in a room the size you're ministering to, there are a lot of people that aren't so happy. And we need to take that into account. Like that's when you think of the theology of suffering, just remember everybody's at a different place and the gospel has to be preached and the word needs to be taught in such a way that ministers to everyone that might be in the room or listening at a later time. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for listening to Radiant Reflections, the podcast of the Radiant Life Church in Sturgis, Michigan. We hope today's edition of Radiant Reflections has helped you live like Jesus and share his love with your family, friends, and neighbors. To learn more about the church family this podcast originates from, check out theradiantlife.church. That's theradiantlife.church. Maybe you have some questions after listening today. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to podcast at theradiantlife.church. That's podcast at theradiantlife.church. Don't forget to subscribe to the Radiant Reflections podcast. When you subscribe, you'll always have the latest content delivered right to your phone from the Radiant Life Church. We'd also be grateful if you could rate and review Radiant Reflections. Every time we receive a five-star review, more people learn about this podcast. We also want to encourage you to share this podcast on social media and with your friends and family. Join us next time for another edition of Radiant Reflections.